I'm excited. This is going to be a good day. It's Christmas morning. I can't believe it's Christmas Eve morning. It's, just, it's hard to believe. Like, where did this year go? Um, but I'm excited to start a brand new year. I, I really have, a, I have high expectations for 2024. If you believe it's going to be a good year, say amen. I'm excited for it. But I want to say thank you for honoring God these last two Sundays out of the year. Uh, this morning, if you're brand new to our church, I'm going to open up the Bible. We're going to turn to a familiar story. And I, gotta have conf- I have a confession to make. Uh, as a pastor, sometimes the Sundays I have the hardest time with are the ones that everyone shows up to out of obligation. I think sometimes Christmas and Easter, it's almost like this autopilot spiritual malaise that if we're not careful, we get sucked into because we hear a story that we've heard 30 times, 40 times. And I want you to know I apologize, but I do not have second, third, or fourth gear. I have first gear, and I have fifth gear. So I, I, I can't preach a little patty cake message today. I'm going to preach like someone's life's on the line. Is that all right? I'm sorry. One of my mentors messed me up in Bible college. She said, Mark, every time you get up and open the Bible, it's always someone's last time to hear it. So if I preach like it's someone's last time, it's probably because it could be. So I'm going to do my best today. I can't promise to fill your cup, but I can promise to empty mine. And that's what we're going to do today. You guys ready to go? So if it gets good today, you can say amen. You can say preach. I preach faster when you guys talk back to me. And so we're going to have a good time today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2 is where we're turning. Actually, I lied. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to turn this morning. And if you want to read the story with your families, I'd encourage you to do that tonight, tomorrow. I always try to read the Christmas story with my family. You can read Matthew and Luke in the first couple of chapters there. But Matthew chapter 2 is a story about these wise men. Someone say wise men. Incidentally, tell you some fun facts today, give you some Bible trivia, just in case you have some Bible trivia over the holiday weekends. Uh, You'll dominate if you go to Ocean's Church. Tough crowd. Uh, But I wanted to say a couple things about this. These guys actually traveled, scholars say, somewhere between 8 and 10 months on Arabian horses from the east. And they actually took, it would have taken 6 to 9 months for these guys to travel from where they started to Jerusalem to actually meet with the king and to meet with the scribes and the Pharisees. And it was a pretty intense journey. Another fun fact is these wise men actually were not Jews. They were Gentiles. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. But if you have your Bibles, I'm going to talk on this. We're in a series called Master Dreams. And it's awesome because the end of the wise men's appearance in the Bible ends with a dream from God. It's actually a dream that saved their life. And here's what I know about God. If we'll honor him, he'll speak to us in a way that'll save our life. Many of you have never heard God's voice. And if you don't hear God's voice at some point, you'll ruin your life. Because God designed creation and life to be lived with him. And this is very important today. I'm going to talk about it. But I want to share a little bit today about joy, and I believe joy comes from taking the trip. Write that title down, Take the Trip. Take the Trip. This is not a a message on drugs. Can I get an amen? Make sure you follow me today. This is about taking a spiritual trip. And some of you have never experienced true joy because you've never taken a a spiritual trip. God wants to take a journey today with you. Christmas is honestly about men and women that were willing to travel for God. That's what the first Christmas was about. So we're going to read here in uh, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read 12 verses together. If you have your Bible, say, I'm ready. We'll put up on the screen here today. But after Jesus was born, someone say after. I'm sorry to break it to you, but your nativity scene could be false. The wise men were not there at the birth of Jesus. Jesus actually wasn't born in a barn. They say it was likely a cave. We do know that Joseph and Mary had a stable relationship. They got to the inn, and the innkeeper said, look, there's no room. We get really busy around Christmas around here. It's also a joke that did not land. (laughs) All right, let's get to business here today. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It says, after this, in in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. Seen his what? 
We see the star in the east, and we have come here to, why did they come? To what? They came to worship. For when Herod heard this, he was troubled. Not just him, all of Jerusalem with him. So here's what we know. Everyone saw the star. Everyone heard about the star. And according to verse 4, they gathered all the religious elite of the day, the priests and the scribes, of all the people together. And they inquired of them, saying, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Where is the Christ supposed to be born? So here's what's interesting. The whole, the whole city saw it. Everybody knew it. But it said to them, Here's the answer. In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he called him secretly, brought the wise men in, and he secretly brought them in because he had bad motivations. He determined with them what time the star appeared. Everyone saw the star. Now everyone knew what the star meant. Now everyone knew where the star was. But they sent them, it's interesting, he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, go, watch what he says, search carefully for the young child. Notice it wasn't a baby, it was a what? Scholars say two years old-ish. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. I don't know if you know this, but stars don't went. It's unusual. That's an anomaly. The star went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, I love this verse, verse 10, they rejoiced. But they didn't just rejoice. They rejoiced with great joy. No, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. That's a lot of joy there. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they, what? They opened up their treasuries, presented gifts. The first wise men said, we have gold, frankincense, and the, and the second wise men said, wait, there's myrrh. I'm telling you guys are tough this morning. That was a joke. Then being divinely warned in a dream, in a what? that they should not return to Herod. They departed to their own country another way. They went home another way. They, they went back to their old life. Uh, what? I actually think maybe the only mistake the wise men made is God warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod, not to leave Jesus. And if they did leave Jesus, I would go on the record to say if they did leave, they should have came back at some point. Because what good is it to worship a Savior one time when you could actually stay with him? It's a food for thought. I want to talk to you today about take the trip. And I'm going to focus on joy today. Some of you don't have joy because you've never taken the trip. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We honor you. On Christmas Eve, we celebrate Jesus Christ. Thank you out of 4,100 world religions, you're the only one that has an empty tomb. Today we celebrate that you're alive, that you're well, and that you're in our midst. You said where two or three gather, there I will be in the midst of it. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Meet us here today. I pray we'd end this year strong and start 2024 closer to you than we've ever been. In Jesus Christ's name, if you agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 I was thinking about um, traveling with kids. Who's ever traveled with kids? Anybody ever done that before? Who has kids? Raise your hand. Who's ever traveled with those kids? I don't even ever thought this. I thought this as a parent. I thought, why do I do this to myself? Actually, I think vacation is taking your kids to other states to fight. <laughs> it's kind of what it feels like. Is uh, you load the vehicle up, you get the tank full, you pack the vehicle up, you get on the road, and you hit the open road, and you start hearing these, these, these things over and over again. Number one thing you hear in the car trip is, are we there? Yes. Your kids are the same as my kids. Are we there yet? You hear that about 700 times. You'll also hear, that's mine. No, that's mine. Get your, no, no, stop. No, you stop. You did it first. No, you did it first. And you're just like, stop it. <laughs> Didn't work overtime to get punished. That's what it feels like sometimes. It feels like vacation is punishment for working hard. <laughs> I actually like trips, but I was thinking about this study I read that talked about how people that spend their money on trips or experiences, they said were happier than people that spent their money staying stationary on stuff. 
I came from a family that was actually more invested in just like kind of like let's buy a TV or buy furniture than taking a trip. My wife's family was more like let's take a vacation every year. And we got married and we're like let's try to do both. Come on. <laughs> Orange County. Uh, uh, but it's interesting that the study was very clear that like over nine times, over nine times the joy of people that spent their money on a trip versus spending their money on a thing. And I was thinking about even the parallel, how God wired the universe in such a way that even from the original Christmas narrative, those that took the trip were happier, were more full of joy than those that did not take the trip. If you're not familiar with the Christmas story, you read Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, you will find that it actually starts in Matthew, which if you don't know this, between the last book of the Old Testament and Matthew is actually 400 years of nothing. And God would start a new segment, a new covenant, a new testament after 400 years of silence with basically, here's what we know about Christmas. Christmas started with two unplanned pregnancies. One was with an old couple by the name of Zacharias and Elizabeth. One was with a brand new young couple. It's crazy. Christmas was crazy, folks. The first one, it started with a baby on a hit list. And it started with a fiancé telling her husband, her future husband, this is not what it looks like. It was scandalous. Zacharias was a priest. He actually was old. The Bible says very old. He was a smart guy, though. It says he called his woman, his wife, well advanced in years. That's a wise man. How old your wife? Advanced in years. It's wisdom dripping from that statement. I don't have time to unpack it. Here's what we know, though, is he goes in, he gets selected. Now, this is a big deal if you don't know the, the ancient world of being a Jewish priest, but this is like a one out of 18,000 opportunity to be able to go into the church and actually serve in the, in the house of God in the holy, in the, in the holy place, in, in, the, in the inner courts. He's in there, and he prays a prayer that he prayed his whole life. God answered it when he's in the church. That's a word for someone. I feel like someone has been praying outside. And there's something powerful about praying inside the house of God. What do you know about the story of Zacharias? The first Christmas, we know this, is actually started with an old couple that prayed their whole life to get pregnant. And when an angel showed up and said, hey, God heard your prayer. You're going to get pregnant. He said, I don't believe you. And what happened when he doubted the word of God? He lost his voice. And this is an important message. I try, to, I try to remind our church every year I teach on the Christmas story that whenever we get our agreement out of agreement with God, we will lose our spiritual voice. You'll lose your, your, you lose your voice in your vocation. You'll lose your voice in your family. You'll lose your voice in your prayer life. There is something about agreeing with God's word that gives you God's voice. God's voice has God's authority. Some of you don't realize this, that God's voice in your mouth is just as powerful as it is in God's mouth. God creates with his words. And if we'll get our words lined up with God's word, there is a power there. Zachariah said, how will this be? I don't know. We're old. My wife's well advanced. A smart man. And the Bible says that the angel said, I stand before the presence of God. And because you didn't agree with this, 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 this word, this promise that you've prayed for, how many times we ask God for something and when he gives it to us, we don't even believe it? Or when he's about to give it to us, we don't believe it. And he said, because you didn't believe me, you're not going to have a voice until the baby's born. And so we know the baby's born. Elizabeth gets pregnant. And God shows up, sends the same angel Gabriel to a 17-year-old that goes to Nazareth High School. Her name's Mary. There's something about her. <laughs> Mary's there. We know that Mary is uh, 17-ish years old. She's engaged to a guy named Joseph. They're not married. Gabriel says, look, you're going to bear a child. His name is Jesus. He's going to save the world. You're going to bear, you're going to be the mom of the Messiah. And she goes, how is this going to be? I've never been on my honeymoon yet. And he, and he said, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy Spirit will actually fill you up. And here's what we know is that one encounter with the Holy Spirit will put the life of Jesus inside of you. That's a word for someone today. Someone doesn't look like you're carrying Jesus because you've never had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. There is something about an intimate encounter with the Spirit of God that puts the life of Jesus inside of you. What do you know about pregnancy, preacher? I know this. The longer you carry a new life in you, the more it reflects on the outside of you. 
Some of you don't look Christian because you're not carrying Jesus inside of you. How do you get Jesus on the inside? By an intimate encounter with the Spirit of God. Here's what I know about the first Christmas. It was about, it was about rich and poor. There was wise men that were aristocrats. They were a social elites of the day. They were well-educated astrologers. They studied the sky. They knew the stars. And wouldn't it be like God to actually speak in a language that they would understand? You know what? To the people that studied stars and worshiped the sky, God spoke to them with a, a star that shined brighter than any other. Paul got to Mars Hill and he said, I see that you guys are really religious. You worship everybody. I even saw a statue of a, of, a, of, a, of a God that's unnamed. That's the God I want to preach to you. To fishermen, he says, look, guys, you're going to catch men. And to prove it to you, you're going to catch so many fish that your boats are going to sink. God will speak the language of the people to reveal who he is. Amen. So he says to these astrologers, look at the sky. And they see stars. These guys are not righteous. These guys are not religious. These are not devout Jews. These are actually descendants of Balaam. They actually would have been connected to the men that Daniel would have led in, in Babylon. These guys uh, were magicians. That's where Magi comes from originally. And we know that they were fascinated with a supernatural power. Some of you are here today. You've messed with crystals, tarot cards, soothsayers. You like, you like uh, all these new age practices. And there's something in you that knows the supernatural is real. But you're looking for God in counterfeit places. And I want you to know, I, like, I love Jesus for two reasons. Number one, I hate losing. Why would you serve another deity when Jesus Christ is Lord? I don't get it. But number two, I love Christianity because there's something about you knowing him that no one else can substitute. I want you to write this down. God has no grandkids. You know what that means? No one can know Jesus for you. Problem with most people, I believe today, killing more people than nicotine is secondhand Christianity. They say secondhand smoke kills people. I think secondhand Christianity kills people. Because some people think they're high because of someone in their family. And I want you to know that God wants you to have your own flame, your own fire, and your own relationship with him. These wise men, they were willing to travel over, over 800 miles, nine months, because of what God showed them in the sky. The part that makes me scratch my head is they get to Jerusalem. They gather the city. This, this got me. I didn't share this last service. Is everyone saw the star, but in Jerusalem, everyone knew the answer. Everyone knew, okay, that means the Savior's being born. And we know because of this meeting, it's Bethlehem. Ladies and gentlemen, Bethlehem was five miles away. And what gets me is everyone saw the star. Everyone knew the answer, but no one was willing to take the trip. You know what religion tries to do? It tries to get other people to take the trip for you. I'll just go to church and I'll give, a, I'll give some money and the pastor will know God for me. No, that's not the way it works, Jethro. I'm not going to God for you. I'm actually going to God. I'm not, I'm not going. Listen, some people think that church is where pastors go to God, come back to the people, and represent God to the people. This is what the Lord says today. Some people think that. When in actuality, the pastor's job is not to go and represent, it's not, it's not, I'm not supposed to represent God to you. I'm supposed to represent you to God. That's what pastors do. Pastors bring the difficulty of their people into God's presence. And that's where we get this man of God weird syndrome that I'm the man of God. I just came down from the mountain, hear my voice. And that's not the way it works, is when pastors bring the burdens of their people into the presence of God, they'll have food for the people that causes them to grow into great disciples. That's a good spot for a hand clap right there. Let's honor God that we can all be kings. We can all be priests. We can all have a relationship. It's not one pastor that knows God now. And most people miss it because they know where to find them, 
They know what the Bible says, but they're not willing to take the trip. Five miles. You're telling me that Gentiles that don't even know Yahweh are willing to travel nine months, but you won't travel one day to look for yourself? King Herod goes, go for me. That's what religion tries to say, go for me. Pray for me. Hear God for me. Have a relationship with Jesus for me. Get me into heaven for me. Write me in the Lamb's book of life for me. We try, are you hearing me today? I feel like something's shifting in here today. Because many people think that Christianity is about knowing someone that knows God so well that he sneaks you in the back door. God has no what? Grandkids. God wants to know you personally. God wants, he already knows your name, but he wants you to know his name. Most people don't take the trip, I realize, for three reasons. Number one, they don't have a hunger. You know why many of you, you, you know that God's in church, but you show up twice a year? You know why? It's because you don't have that much of an appetite. I'm not saying that's bad, necessarily. I'm just saying when you lose your appetite, usually it's an indicator that something's sick. Because the first thing you lose when you get a disease, when you get really sick, Lorenzo said he lost 75 pounds. You know why he lost 75 pounds? Because his body was what? Do you know why some of you can go to church once a year and feel like that's enough? Because your appetite is so small because your spirit, you're physically healthy. Yeah, you're financially stable, but I want to tell you that you might be spiritually sick. Because God designed you to walk with you, talk with you, and to live with you. Do you know why he named himself Emmanuel? Because he wants to be the God that's with us. Not once a year. Can you imagine a dad that goes, I gave birth to you, but I only want to see you when you graduate high school. I only want to see you when you have your first child. And I only want to see you when you retire. Outside of that, have a good life. Some of you think God is like that. And I want to inform you today that God did not go to a cross to know his kids at a distance. And I love the fact that he, he, he proves it. That the first people that sought Jesus physically weren't even Jews. He says, for to you today, a Savior is born. A Savior for all people. He proves that he's a God, not just for the Jewish nation, but for all nations. In the fact that he was discovered by wise men from the east. It's a powerful thought. Some of you have never had a hunger for God. You know, the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and what? For righteousness, they shall be what? Some of you are empty because you've never hungered and thirst. I actually believe that being filled in life, fulfilled. Some of you aren't fulfilled because you've never hungered and thirst for what's right. You know what a righteous appetite is? It's like when Jesus said, you know what my food is? It's to do the will of the God that sent me. There is something rewarding in doing God's will. You know why he was born in Bethlehem? Because that's the house of bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven that gives life to the world. We know this about Jesus, that Bethlehem actually, the first time it appears in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 35. It's when Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, she's giving birth to their 12th son. She would tragically die in labor. And when she's dying, she names her son Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. His dad would show up later. Jacob would say, no, we're not going to name him son of sorrow. We're going to name him Benjamin, son of my right hand. And it's interesting that she was buried just outside of that place in Bethlehem. What I love about the story is it would be a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ that he would be a man familiar with sorrow, acquainted with suffering, but also, according to Acts 5.31, be the son of God's right hand. What do you know is that Jesus knew suffering, Isaiah 53, but he also knew standing at the right hand of God. Most people today, they don't remember Bethlehem as being a place of death. They remember it as a place of birthing. And I want you to know that God can erase the memory of sorrow, and he can redeem things by birthing something brand new. If you believe it, shout amen. I feel like preaching. Come on, can I preach for 10 more minutes? You said, no, I'm going anyways. Why did, why did they take the trip? They took the trip because, number one, they had a hunger. They were, they were possessed, God, God intoxicated to actually find out what does this star mean. 
I would say to all my atheist friends that are here today, I know you're here. Every week they're, they're here. And I'm glad you're here. This is the place that atheists should show up. And what I would say to you is, there is nothing that you will lose in opening up your heart to God and pursuing him. Because let's just go to where you are at right now and say, if God isn't real, if you try to pursue him and he's not real, you know where you end up? Right where you already are. I often tell my atheist friends, you have more faith than I do. For to believe that there is no God and there is no eternity requires much more faith than I have. Because if I'm wrong about eternity, you know what I miss out on? Nothing. I live a morally good life. I'm married to one beautiful, incredible woman. I raise some incredible children. I'm a good neighbor. I'll take your trash out if you live by me. But you know, the truth is, if I'm wrong, I'm in the grave forever, I miss nothing. But if you're wrong, and heaven is real, and eternity does exist, and hell is not a metaphor, you're actually gambling with everything. And so to that, I would say, you got more faith than I do. I would say today that if you were to open up your heart and say, God, if you are real, I'll take the trip. God, give me an appetite for you. Do you know what you miss out on if I'm lying to you today? Nothing. But if I'm right, you know what you gain? Help me say it today. What do you gain? Everything. You gain what Orange County can offer you, Harvard can offer you. Are you hearing me today? Wall Street can offer you. A relationship with Christ is greater than anything Babylon has to offer. Period. These guys were willing to take a trip because, number one, they had a hunger. Number two, they had a humility. Some of you have never encountered Jesus because you've never had a humility. God resists the proud, but he gives what? Who does he give grace to? Do you know why God loved David, but he rejected Saul? Humility. Saul made similar mistakes that David made, but David was quick to fall on his face and go, God, I have sinned against you. I actually believe your willingness to get low in God's presence will determine how high God can lift you. Some of you have never been lifted high because you've never laid before God. There is something in the wise men get there. Imagine this. I don't know if you've ever seen a two-year-old kid. But for, let's just hypothetically say, the elite of the day, wearing their Gucci, wearing their Prada, their channel purses. <laughs> Only Orange County get that joke. <laughs> I'd be like, what are they talking Yeah, channel, that's a good brand. Can you imagine them showing up? And they, they literally, nice clothes, 900 miles, nine months, six months traveling, and they fall on their face to worship a two-year-old. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a two-year-old. It says Jesus was perfect, not that he wasn't playful. I don't, I can't, I can't say for certain, but there's a good chance Jesus might have jumped on those guys. Two-year-olds are rowdy. Two-year-olds are like blenders missing a lid. Are you hearing me? And we know that Jesus somehow, somehow at two, I don't know if there was three. Some people say there's three wise men because there was three gifts. There could have been more. But these guys, you know what they were willing to do? They were humble enough to lay before a two-year-old. I think the reason why some of you haven't taken the trip, you don't know God closely, because you've never been humble enough to actually say, God, if you're real, you can be higher than me. You know why King Herod didn't like Jesus? Because all the, the spirit of King Herod wants no one in the world to be more powerful than him. Some of you, you're not like King Jesus, you're like King Herod. King Herod wants to be the king of the universe. And today, if you get off the throne, Jesus will sit in it. But Jesus is a gentleman. Oftentimes he won't kick you off your throne, but he'll sit on it when you get out of your seat. I want to remind you, Orange County, that Jesus Christ is the greatest Lord, boss, and CEO in the universe. But hear me today. He's not a good employee. Jesus does not work for us. Too many Christians think that God works for me. He answers my prayers. He does what I need. Listen to me. If you think like that, 
you're sitting in God's chair. And I would tell you today that God resists proud people. And the reason why God's doing little in your life is because you're giving him a little space. I said it on Friday, but I'll repeat it today. The more room you give God, the greater you'll see God move in your life. Some of you see little things because you're giving God a little bit of space. You want God to do big things in your marriage? Give him all of your marriage. You want God to do big things in your kids? Give him your kids. I've learned that anything I'm scared of, I haven't given God. I remember one time I was thinking about my kids and I was worried about them like, you know, getting sick and a lot of pastors I know have had kids that have died and gotten sick and I'm like, Lord, please. I remember one day I just, I got, I don't ever struggle really with fear. That's not a thing that usually happens to me. But I got one day I got nervous about my kids like not being safe and I was praying for them and the Holy Spirit very gently just said, Mark, if you're fearful about your kids dying, you're, you haven't given your kids to me. And anything that God doesn't own, you'll get scared by. So if you're freaked out about your money, it's probably because you haven't given your money to God. If you're scared about your marriage, it's probably because your marriage isn't owned by Jesus. Whatever you give him the keys to, he takes care of. I think the wise men took the trip because they were hungry to see what was on the other side. I think they took the trip because there was a humility in them that said, look, we know enough to know, we don't know very much. I'm always amazed by really successful people, really, really wealthy people, really powerful people, because they're the ones that don't need to be recognized. It's usually the C-list celebrities that want to be treated like A-listers. I've met A-list celebrities, they want to be treated normal. It's the funny thing about humanity. Normal people... They want to be treated like celebrities. Real celebrities, they just want to be treated normal. Feel like preaching today. Some of you are like, oh, I, I know. I know I got God. Mark, I know everything about the Bible. You're wrong in this area and this. I know everything. I figured it out. Like, dude, like, I'm a pastor. I've been giving my life to this thing for 21 years. I've read this book over and over and I've studied I've studied Greek and Hebrew and I've I've dug deep into this book and I'm here to tell you that there is more that we don't know about God than we do there's more that we don't know about the universe than we do there's more in life that I don't know than I do know so what does that mean does that mean we shouldn't have confidence no we should have great confidence because here's the truth write this down we let what we do know shape our attitude about what we don't. I let what I do know about God shape what I don't know about life. This is, maybe it's too deep on Christmas Eve. When you deal with tragedy, heartache, you let what you do know about God shape what you don't know about mourning, about grief. Because there's always going to be more. Wise people will tell you, there's more that I don't know then I do know. Foolish people say, I have it figured out. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Which, by the way, you can only rule out there is something that's not there if you've seen everything. You know what fools do? There is no God. Okay, let me ask you a question. Do you know everything? Oh, you don't. Oh. So you don't know everything in the universe? You don't know like the speed of everything? You don't know everything scientifically? You don't know all biology and all chemistry? You don't understand rocket science? You don't understand uh, uh, Newton's laws of physics? You don't, you, don't, you don't know everything? So if you don't know everything, how can you make a statement that there is no God? You know why fools say for certain there is no God? Because the foolish person always brags about how much he knows. The wise person is thankful that he has so much to learn. Humility. Take the trip. Last thing, you still with me today? I'll finish this up. I believe the wise men were willing to take the trip because there was an honor in them. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2.30, one of my life verses, God speaking, he says, I will honor those who honor me, but those that do not honor me will be lightly esteemed. Some of you, quite frankly, you're underachieving in life. You're not doing what God wants you to do with your life. 
because you've never honored him. I've met people in high school that were changing the world, and they graduate, and they do nothing with their life. And usually the common thread is they don't honor God. They honor money. They honor status. They honor striving. They honor the world. They don't honor God. And then you take someone like me that's a nobody from nowhere that shouldn't be doing nothing. And I'm not bragging that I'm something great, but I am saying I'm grateful that God would allow me to do what I'm doing when I have no business being here. What's your secret recipe? I honored. I said, God, I don't have life figured out, but you do. I don't have anything to offer a king. But here's what we know about the story. You want to write this down if you want. They honored God two ways. They fell on their face. And after they fell on their face, they got up and they opened up their treasuries. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Representing royalty, divinity, and actually myrrh represented burial ointment. So, and it's interesting, when Mary gave birth to Jesus, she wrapped him in sackcloth. Sackcloth was used in the ancient world. People always travel with sackcloth because good Jews would not touch anything dead. If you touch something dead, you would be unclean. And so literally, he was wrapped in something that was supposed to be used for dead people. It would be a sign of what Jesus was born to do. Jesus as a baby was born to die for us. And Mary wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger. What do you know, preacher? I know this. Is the wise men, they laid down humbly and they honored God with their best. If you want to write down the fastest way to dissatisfaction, write this down. The fastest way to be dissatisfied in life is to give your best to something other than God. God deserves your best. And we have a bunch of unhappy Christians that are bored in church because you're giving God 17th place. If I don't have anything going on this weekend, I'll go to church. How about we shape our lives around God? We're going to go. We're going to honor. We're going to raise our kids. And if I could offend a few people on Christmas Eve, I would go on the record to say, don't give your best to sports and your leftovers to God and wonder why your kids love sports and stop going to church. Don't treat the church like it doesn't matter and get mad when your kids don't care about it one day. It's quiet up in the Presbyterian church. But say with me, hunger, humility, honor. Here's what I know about honor. Can I give you one more thing? I know I'm going long today. Just, just wrap it up, preacher, you know? Put some socks on and wrap this thing up. I'm almost done. They're in there, by the way. But my eyes are up here, okay? Stay with me. Just stay with me up here. Sorry. Hey, uh, I want to wrap this up with this thought. Before the wise men encountered Jesus Christ, they had to ask scribes and priests what the Bible meant. After they encountered Jesus, the Bible says God spoke to him in a what? What did he speak to him in a? You're telling me that before they encountered Jesus Christ, they had to learn about God from somebody else. But after they experienced Jesus, they got a personal. You know what dreams from God will do? They'll warn you. There is five dreams during Christmas. I don't have time to talk about all of them. But dreams will change your life. Dreams will warm you. God warned the wise men in a dream. Warned Joseph four times in a dream. God actually warned, I, I can go on and on. Do you know that dreams in the Bible are really powerful? Do you know the reason why non-Jews can be Christians today was because there was a devout man that was a good man, loved God, was devout, and gave generously to the poor by the name of Cornelius? In Acts chapter 10, God gave him a, it was a dream. Do you know in the Old Testament there was a guy named Noah being divinely warned, Hebrews eleven seven in a, built an ark for the saving of his household and condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness by faith. Ladies and gentlemen, when you know Jesus, he will speak to you in dreams. And one of the stupidest things you can do is disregard a God dream. Don't do something that you don't have peace to do. Some of you are waking up in the morning and God's warning you, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't invest there. Stop trying to make this happen. Don't flirt with darkness. Don't mess with God's dreams. 
God warned them. Here's what I know about the dream. That dreamed it saved their life. It saved their life. Before Jesus, they learned about God through priests and scribes. After they bowed, and here's what I know about joy. Joy comes to those that are humble enough to bow. And joy comes to those that are actually honoring enough to give extravagantly. It's actually, it's, uh, it's exuberant praise and it's extravagant giving that led to joy unspeakable. Exceedingly great joy. That's what the wise men had. Some of you want joy. You know where it's found? Exuberant praise that's found in humility and extravagant giving that's found in honor. Some of you are like, I've never taken that trip before, preacher. Well, I would challenge you the next 12 months. Let's take the trip. Here's what I want to pray for Ocean's Church today as we'll wrap this up. Is I want to pray for anyone in this room today that you have not taken the trip. You've never been humble enough to invite God in. You've never been honoring enough to say, God, if you are real, I'll give you my life. And how about this? I've never been hungry enough to believe that I could know God every day of my life. Jesus didn't die for partial custody of you. He wants all of you, all the time, every day. And some of you think God wants you once or twice a year. He does not. He died to know you fully. So today, if you would be here to be honest enough today and say, Mark, I need to take the trip. God, give me an appetite called hunger. Give me a humility that's called praise. And give me an honor that goes, God, I give you my very life. I believe you'll pray that prayer. God will lead you to exceedingly great joy. And how about for those of us that love God already? Who would say, I could grow in the area of hunger? I want more hunger for God. I studied the last seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. The third last thing that Jesus said was, I thirst. It is finished. Into your hands I give up my spirit. Third last thing Jesus said before he said it. Actually, it was the last thing that he said before he said, it is finished, is I thirst. I was praying about that, and the Lord told me, he said, Mark, the secret to finishing is living with an appetite. I want to pray for you. Listen to me. Whenever your memories are more exciting than your dreams, that's the definition of getting old. Getting old is when you love your memories more than your dreams. I don't want to get old. My grandma was 80-something 80, 80 years old, and she said, I didn't retire, I refired. She's old-school Pentecostal preacher. You had to know her. But today I want to pray for you. If you're here today, you already know Jesus, but you say, Mark, I want more hunger for him. I want God to trust me because I'm humble, and I want to live a life of honor. I want to open up my treasuries and give God my best. I want you to stand your feet. We're going to take the trip this year. Do you know that so far this weekend, we've had 67 people give their lives to Jesus? Isn't that amazing? 67 people. Many more here today. I need every eye on me real quick. I want to challenge you today. We know what life looks like when Jesus isn't driving it. And I, I can't promise you that we can fix what happened the last 11 months. But we can make up our minds that the next 12 months will be the best 12 months we've ever lived. And how do you know that? Because if I will get closer to God than I've ever been, it will change the reality of my joy in my life. Today, if you want to make the trip and say, Mark, I've never known Jesus, but I'm hungry enough to go, God, if you're there, I want to open up my heart to you. Maybe you've been atheist your whole life, and you're, you're brave enough today to say, God, if you are there, I invite you in. Give me a hunger. Give me a humility. Give me an honor for you. Or maybe you used to walk with God and somewhere on the journey, you stopped taking the trip. What I know about the first Christmas was, is the wise men that took the trip and they were full of joy. Mary and Joseph took the trip and they were full of joy. The shepherds in the field ran and took a trip, they were full of joy. It was the religious that stayed that missed out on the first Christmas. I don't want anyone to miss out on Christmas today. If you want to take the trip and say, Mark, I don't know Jesus or somewhere in my life I got off track and I want to get back on the journey. I want to live the rest of my life pursuing God with a hunger, pursuing God with a humility, and pursuing Jesus Christ with an honor. 
If it's a first-time decision or you want to rededicate your life to the Lord, eyes closed all over this tent, I want you to raise your hands. I'll give you three seconds to say, Mark, today's the day that the next 12 months I'm taking the trip. I'm taking the trip. Hands going up all over the tents. If that's you, go up real high. One, keep your hands up for me. Two, doesn't make you weird, it makes you honest. Three, real high, that's me, that's me. Got every hand that's supposed to go up, let it go up right now. Keep it up, I see two, three, four, real high. Five, six, seven, real high. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Anybody else? 19, anybody else? Back 10, anybody else? I saw 19 hands, at least 19. If you're watching online, I would love it if you write heart, H-E-A-R-T. I don't even care if you're listening to this message 20 years from now. Something about a step of faith. Do you know why I have you raise your hand? Because Jesus said this, if you deny me in front of men, I'll deny you when you stand before me in glory. But if you'll confess me in front of men, I'll confess you in front of my Father in heaven. Those 19 people that raised your hands today, I want you to pray with the rest of Oceans Church. We're going to invite Jesus Christ into our life today. All over the room. You guys with me today? Who's excited that 19 more people are giving their lives to God? 86 people this weekend. But you know what's so cool? There's four more of you. There's four of you. Your heart's beating so hard right now. You're like, I think I, think I missed it. And you didn't miss it. There's one more. I want you to raise your hand. You didn't raise your hand. We're supposed to. There's two more. There's three more. There's four more. Anyone else? I knew there was at least four more. Thank you for starting that. Awesome. 90 people. I want you to pray this prayer, Oceans Church. With those, with those people that raised their hands, say, Jesus, today I want to take the trip. I ask you, Jesus Christ, to give me an appetite, to give me a hunger to seek first the kingdom of God, to go after you, pursue you with all that I have. Humbly, I invite you, forgive me all my sins. Come on, say, forgive me all my sins. And today, I choose to honor you, serve you, love you, the rest of my days. So I'm asking today, give me a love for your word, a passion to pray, a church to call home, and friends, small groups that can show me your ways. Jesus, I want to take the trip. Be my Lord, be my Savior, in Jesus' name. You prayed that prayer. Come on, say a good amen. Let's give God 10 seconds. That's a great weekend. 90 people giving their life to Jesus. Hey, we already prayed for those that are sick, but I just want to let you know, I feel like there was someone named uh, Rebecca here today that God is actually bringing uh, oil. It's like uh, anointing out of the hard seasons of your past. It is actually going to be so cool. I was reading last night, God showed me out of Isaiah, that the oil that created the anointing came from smashed olives. And I just believe that this year was like smashing, but there's an oil coming that's going to heal people's lives. I believe there's an Elizabeth here today that you're actually going to have a child. You've been trying to get pregnant. might be your middle name, but I believe this is going to be a year of being fruitful. God is in the business of answering prayers. I don't know why. Some of you have been praying for 12 months, 12 years, but you've never prayed while being a part of a church. I feel like some of you have been Christians but never been a part of a church. And this year is going to change. You're going to be part of a church this year. God answered Zacharias's prayer in the church. Excited about that. Hey, last thing I want to do today, I love it if you grab your neighbor's sweaty hand. That sweaty old thing. Grab that hand. And I want you to pray today. If you're here today and you would say, uh, you know, Mark, I want to grow in hunger for God. I want to grow in humility with God. I want to be trustworthy. And truthfully, I want to honor God at a higher level these next 12 months. Would you just say amen? So let's pray this over our neighbors and over ourselves today. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, like you mean at Ocean's Church. Say, Lord Jesus, today we take the trip. 
We invite you, Spirit of the living God, to give us a greater appetite, a greater hunger, a greater humility, and a greater honor. We want you in every part of our life. Evict darkness, evict distractions, fill our homes. As for me, as for my house, as for my neighbor, we're going to serve the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, and if you believe it, come on, shout a good amen. Let's give God a hand clap today. Come on, let's honor God one more time. Let's sing it. church we serve an awesome God if you believe it shout amen mighty God hey grab a seat I'm gonna give up the microphone here I'm gonna give up not in life just in the service I uh, I want to wrap up the last thing I would say is we actually just announced it today but our oceans conference is always the highlight of the year we are actually inviting some of the greatest voices on the earth in my opinion the Beveres, John and Lisa Bevere, Dr. Michael Maiden, actually bringing in, in my opinion, one of the greatest living apostolic men and women in the world, Phil Pringle's gonna be here with us. He's from Australia, we're, we're flying him in from Australia to be here. Here's the best part of Ocean's Conference, it's free. I don't know any other conference in California or anywhere near that has this type of lineup that's free. We do it on purpose because we want everyone to not have an excuse. We're gonna honor God with the first part of the year. January 18th, 19th, 20th. I need you to cancel plans, get back early. We do this conference one time a year. So I'm inviting everyone to be a part of that and I believe we'll honor God in January. He will bless the rest of the year. Amen.